One, Forever Alone, is an ongoing story-based podcast based on the novel One by J.A. Larocque. You can find this podcast on Himalaya, iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Chapter 15, Requiem for the Mind. Awakening from a nightmare, only to find yourself trapped within another dream, can be just as, or if not more, frightening. When you believe you are safe, return to your world. A sense of peace covers you like a warm blanket. It is a feeling that what you left behind would remain there, and that only what you know is real is before you. Then, slowly, little by little, you discover that what you thought was your world is missing several pieces. Not always the critical ones, but just enough to let you know something is terribly wrong. In the end, when the truth is apparent and your shell of self-protection is shattered, only then is the true horror revealed. Darkness and pain were the first thing I felt when I could feel again. But there was something else. It was soft. It felt familiar and yet foreign at the same time. Timothy. Timothy Hayden. Can you hear me? My eyes shot open, but the image before me was blurry. The shadowed figure was standing over me, just as it was before I lost consciousness. But now I had a voice. It was deep and concerned. Again, it sounded familiar, and yet... Perhaps the fall had broken my mind, and I was hallucinating. That was one of the thoughts racing through my mind. Also, fear still had me in its grasp. Instinctively, I began moving backwards when I realized I was lying in a bed. It's okay, Timothy. You don't need to run anymore. You're safe. The tone of the voice sounded a little like my father's when he'd find me tossing in my sleep, fighting a nightmare. Then, warm human hands pressed against my shoulders, not specifically to hold me down, but to reassure me. Yet again, just like my father, he would tell me I was safe and that everyone was there for me. The shadows faded as my vision cleared. The image before me was a man, tall, and looked to be in his fifties. His gray, carefully trimmed beard traveled up the side of his face connecting with his silver hair. He smiled, taking notice of my confusion. My eyes searched his for lies, that this was a dream or something worse. He wore a blue suit covered by a white overcoat. He reached into his coat pocket and pulled out a small pen and pointed towards me. 
I have been caring for you for the last few hours. My name is Earl Stormed. You gave us quite a scare, Mr. Hayden. He shined a light into my eyes. If I still believed, I would call its glow salvation. But it was not that easy. When you've seen the impossible, the probable is what seems most unlikely. So many thoughts I had, and I could not convey any to him. Am I... Am I in a hospital? I said softly. Yes. The fall knocked you unconscious, but there were no signs of a concussion. Of course, we will run a few more tests later, just to be sure. I must say, you're pretty lucky, Mr. Hayden. Sore back, shoulders and head aside, I sat up quickly. The single patient room was small, devoid of any comforting design. My bed sat against a plain white wall, facing another plain white wall. It was a standard hospital bed, white sheets, and one white pillow. But I was not connected to any monitoring devices. The ceiling was tall, also white with only one plastic covered light high above me. I was dressed in a hospital gown, green and white, my head perfectly wrapped with a small cloth. The, the fall? My words came out slowly. I felt like a coma patient on television, waking up after years of deep slumber. I was disoriented and confused. I could remember everything that happened in the school, but I could not say it to him. The pain in my forehead from before was still there. It was worse than anything else. I squinted my eyes. The doctor could clearly see it. The nurses cleaned the wound on your forehead. You must have hit it against the edge of the steps. It caused quite a nasty gash, but you'll be fine. If you're still in pain, I can talk to Dr. Leaves about giving you something for that. Listening to his words, I understood them fully, but they did not register within my mind. His voice was calm and his explanation absolute, as if there was nothing strange that had occurred. The room, it held interest to me. It was clearly an older building. There were chips of paint that were breaking away from the corners of the walls and the ceiling. There were thick glass windows that allowed sunlight in, but nothing else. The ventilation system was out of reach even if I stood up on top of the bed. Cold air blew directly on my face, which answered the question as to why I felt so cold, even though I was covered with a sheet and a blanket. What happened to me? I asked. A question I asked because I wanted. No, I needed to hear the answer. The man's eyes told me that no matter what he said, the answer would not bring me any comfort. 
He reached down to the foot of my bed and pulled the metal clipboard from it. He began flipping through the numerous pages held there. I never liked doctors. They would either withhold information until the last possible minute or try to downplay the truth of your condition. He wrote something on one of the pages. It was short, no more than a sentence. But seeing him do that angered me. I never wanted or required emotion from doctors. Their job to me was to diagnose the problem and recommend and or administer treatment. The look on his face of general concern for me was unnecessary. While I was pleased to see another human, just a few things I had noticed had unsettled me, and I knew it was only going to get worse. You don't remember what happened to you, do you, Mr. Hayden? I knew what I was beginning to accept, but refused to fully believe. But was that his question? His eyes searched mine, trying to pluck the answer from me before I could give it to him. When my mother and I arrived at the hospital after my father's accident, the doctor attending looked at me the same way. He asked the most asinine question, one asked every time someone is part of a traumatic event. Are you alright? A verbal answer was not why the question was asked. They wanted to see the response in your actions, in your eyes, in your soul. I laid my head back against the pillow. Its cool, soft surface relaxed me, but only for a moment. I wanted to give the answer to his question that would lead to an answer for mine. I thought back to what had happened. My mind felt cloudy as if trying to recollect a fading dream. For a moment, I had forgotten some of what I'd seen. Images of my past, what had happened with Jonathan, with Christine, and my family. Not the vacant world I'd woken up to that day. Then, the scent of flowers washed away those images. On the nightstand next to my bed, was a small crystal vase filled with an assortment of flowers with a small card attached to them. Its bright, vibrant colors were in such stark contrast to the plain white room that I was in. I wondered why I had not noticed them earlier. I stared at the arrangement and recognized the logo on the card. It was from the flower shop I worked at as a kid. I was only 12 and I had a job bringing in the display flowers from the front of the store to the storage area in the back. I learned a lot about flowers from working there and shopped there many times for gifts for my mother and for Christine. They arrived this morning, the man chimed in. My hand shook as I reached for the card. I knew who the flowers were from but this only brought more questions. The card itself smelled of perfume, Christine's favorite brand. I fumbled to open the envelope, excited to read what she wrote inside. In time, these flowers will wither and die, 
but my love for you is eternal. Christine. For a moment, the worry was lifted from me. It did not matter that it would be impossible for her to have sent the flowers, considering what I had seen. I did not care that the man looked upon me as if nothing out of the ordinary had happened. What did matter was that Christine still loved me. And if she was here, then so was my family. Christine? I whispered. Emotion was all I had at that moment. Joy wrapped around me and brought a smile to my face. The man's expression did not compliment mine. His look of concern was still there and was stronger than ever. It is unfortunate, but many of our patients have family who abandoned them. Friends who refuse to visit their loved ones while under our care. They don't understand that family and community can be the most powerful healing tool. If pure, powerful emotion, such as anger, can lead to mental mistakes, then it must be accepted that pure happiness, even love, would have the same effect. All that was left, as far as Ike was concerned, was to merge the two worlds into one and tie them together with a bow of common sense. A tall feat to be sure, but the alternative was not acceptable. The man on the stairs that I saw, was he the one who brought me here? The confused look on the man's face was clearly telling me that my attempt to explain away what happened to me before with what was happening to me right now was failing. I'm sorry, Mr. Hayden. The man on the stairs? It was becoming more and more unlikely that I would be able to bring both worlds together. If that could not be done, then I would have to come to accept that. The smell of the flowers and perfume were stronger than ever, and the past became less and less important. Is... Christine here now? Is my family here? No, but they were notified and will be here soon. It is that momentary relief when you believe your troubles are over can be the cruelest prologue. The shell you created cracked open by an undeniable problem. At that moment, his words took me from comfort to confusion with dread not too far behind. How, how, how were you able to contact them? Where are they? The clouds were clearing away as I remembered everything, even what I tried to forget. The room seemed smaller than just a moment ago. If the hospital was able to contact my family, then it had to mean one of two things. Either they were able to get my information from my identification and then call my family at home, or they already knew where and how to contact my family and then did so. However, the concerned look on the man's face had to do with the question he had asked earlier. 
Timothy, do you remember about last night? I began to realize that in order to put an end to this, I had to accept the possibility that everything that had happened to me before awakening in the hospital was a dream or something else. It did not matter why I was unable to escape it before or why I was even trapped in such a nightmare in the first place. It was time to tell him exactly what I remembered, no matter how insane it might sound. I, um, I remember I was at Lincoln Park, my sister's high school. I was looking for other people and I thought that maybe they had taken refuge. They have a bomb shelter in the basement. When I was leaving, the power went out and my head felt like it was on fire. I, I panicked, I, I ran up the stairs and then I saw something, someone. I guess it startled me and I, I fell. I, I just don't, can you just tell me what happened? And why was Chicago evacuated? The story did not make sense to me, even as I heard it coming out my own mouth. I had not told him what I saw before. The fire, the visions, the empty world I truly believed was real. His expression of surprise sealed the thought that I had had when I climbed back onto the balcony after failing to release myself. Evacuation? Timothy, is that what you believe happened? Because there was no evacuation. When I was standing on the edge of my balcony, between the feeling of my heart racing and my rapid breathing, there was a fleeting thought before I decided to move forward and believe in anything that I had seen and believe it was real. Had I lost my mind? The smell of the flowers, the card stamped with the logo of the flower shop on Wells Street. If all that was true, then there was no world void of life beyond mine. Everything was created by my mind and that fall did not render me unconscious, but had awakened me. Where am I? I asked. Let's talk more about this evacuation first. When did you first start having this dream? We were back to the first probable explanation, a dream world I created that I could not escape from. But there was something else. The shadow. The fall. Where did I fall from? And where was I taken to? And if this happened the night before, why was it only then that my family had been notified? Please, just tell me, where am I? You're back in your room, Mr. Hayden. We transferred you a few hours ago from the medical wing. It was beginning to make sense. The private room, the steel door, the reinforced glass. An answer was in my mind, but I held on to it. I did not want to state the truth in my surroundings, 
I wanted to hear it from an outside source. You said from the medical wing. Then where is this? Pending clarity was interrupted. A security lock released. The sound echoed throughout the room. The white metal door with the small diamond-shaped glass window slowly opened. Another older man entered the room, and he looked at me. The look on his face, it was as if he had known me for a long time. Dr. Storm immediately stood from his seat. Whatever he was going to tell me, he looked almost relieved to have someone else do it for him. The second doctor glanced at him, his dark blue eyes acknowledging the situation. Dr. Storm looked back at me as if saying goodbye as he handed a new doctor my chart and left the room without saying a word. The second doctor closed the door behind him. This time I did not hear the lock latch. He grabbed a plastic chair next to the door and pulled it over to my nightstand and sat down next to me. He laid my chart next to the vase and stared at me. Do you know who I am? His face was less concerned and more curious. Unlike Dr. Storm, his voice did not sound like my father's. There was no reassurance in his voice. It was clear, concise, and cold. He sought an answer from me that would dictate his next question. While this was the type of physician that I respected and preferred, I did not feel better dealing with him. My blank stare gave him his answer. I see. My name is Dr. Nima Leaves. You've been under my care. Under your care? I asked. What does that mean, exactly? What happened to me? He crossed his arms. There was an expression on his face. It was of disappointment. It was not the kind of look my father would give me when I would let him down. It was a look of a scientist. As if I was an experiment that had failed. I hoped that you'd be able to tell me that. I overheard what you told Dr. Stormed. This evacuation. You didn't dream it, did you? I knew where he was going with that question, just as I knew what Dr. Storm was going to say before Dr. Leaves entered the room. Still, I refused to say it, or even think it, at first. It sickened me, but I shook my head as if I did not know what to say. I, I, I don't know what you mean. I just... I, I, I don't know. He picked up my chart and quickly found the sentence Dr. Storm had written. Dr. Leaves looked up from the stack of papers. He just stared at me, as if he was expecting a different result, and didn't get it. He took a deep breath, 
His eyes relaxed. It was as if he was preparing to go down a long road he had traveled many times. I sat there, waiting, knowing exactly what he would say, anticipating it. You wanted to know where you are. You are in Lakeview Psychiatric Hospital. You have been under my care for almost a year now. Next time. Chapter 16.